You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. Uh, so listen, as a student of history, one thing that uh, we've all learned is that even the mightiest dynasties eventually crumble. Uh, the Ming Dynasty, the Habsburg Dynasty, and now, <laughs> trouble for the preeminent dynasty of our age. In the beginning, God. Beyond all time and outside of all space, there was God. But then the evil one, the father of lies, tempted them. From this calamity down through the ages, man shakes his fist at his creator and says, I decide what's right and wrong. God is dead. I'm my own God. With the fall, death entered into human history. Now all creation is subject to its bondage to decay. Men of Athens, I can see that in every way you're very religious. The one you worship is unknown. I will proclaim to you, the God who made the world is Lord of heaven and earth. When men begin to determine what's right and what's wrong, oh my goodness, in the absence of God, The man with the biggest stick determines your worth. Caesar demands his pinch of incense. Violence, decadence, political anarchy, moral decay. Welcome to the city of man. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see these events. More to come. And I looked and behold a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Having made ourselves God, we turn inward, feeling lonely, ashamed, self-conscious, depressed, lost to our very selves, full of violence and carnality, betrayal, hatred, murder, war, the legacy of fallen mankind. that a human civilization's best chance of survival is to anchor itself in the God of creation. God created man and woman in his image. We are image bearers of God. Welcome to the Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me once again is Mr. Chris Bricklemeyer. Hello, how's everybody doing? Also with us this week is Mr. David Pace Bonello. Hello, everyone. On this special episode of the Projection Booth, we are looking at the 2016 documentary from director Steve Bannon, Torchbearer. The film stars Phil Robertson, better known as the Duck Commander, and is an hour-long, despite what the IMDb page says, sermon which warns against the perils of secularism. This is the ninth film from Bannon as director, though he's taken a little bit of a break from filmmaking now as he's uh, advising the current president. This film is broken into several parts. We'll be looking at those discreetly, as well as the overall film as a whole. This film begins with a montage of clips that seem to have been culled after Phil Robertson made some anti-gay remarks. This came about after the December 2013 GQ article and the interview about Duck Dynasty, where Robertson linked homosexuality to bestiality. 
though Robertson, who later claimed to be as much of a homophobe as Jesus Christ, would go on in September 2014 to claim that AIDS is God's penalty for immoral behavior. And don't forget, he linked gay marriage with mass murder in September 2016. Let's talk about Torchbearer. The, like I said, this is an hour long. IMDb says 94 minutes, but it's an hour. I don't think, I mean, you could add to this fairly easily. Once we're through with that opening montage, that opening montage, first thing, before we even see Robertson, we hear John Stewart talking and he's talking about the Duck Dynasty as if it were an empire and like all empires it must crumble, which kind of sets the stage for a lot of what we're going to hear in this documentary. And then the first visual we get is the end of a rifle and Robertson shooting as if he were shooting John Stewart. So very, very clever visuals there. Not very subtle, no. Once we get into the movie proper, because we do start with this montage where we are getting all of these talking head pundits talking about Robertson after it's got to be after the 2013 GQ thing. They even talk about GQ in there and just people are like, this guy's from the stone age. What is this kind of thinking that is happening? And wow, 2013, it feels like it was so long ago. This is as the tide has started to turn and I won't say homosexuality, homosexuality has been embraced, but it is definitely much more acceptable in mainstream culture. You know, Ellen is hosting a TV show. We've, we're, we're doing good, people. We're a couple of years away from the big announcement that gay marriage is legal. We are on the right track. And this guy is just such a throwback and he's got a pulpit now because he is part of this A&E reality show. And people are just eating it up. You know, hey, man, this is fantastic. I love Duck Dynasty. I love, uh, you know, uh, the uh, Boo Boo Honey Bear or whatever the fucker name is. All these kind of shitty reality shows. This is fantastic. And he's remarkable with uh, how backward his thinking is. But at the same time, he kind of uh, represents a lot of the thinking that has kind of gotten us into the current situation. So it's no wonder that Steve Bannon who is now advising the president is part of this and making this documentary. And this is part of this overall. I mean, this is not a Dinesh D'Souza documentary, but it is along those lines of these Dinesh D'Souza topic, uh, topic of the moment kind of documentaries where it takes about a week and a half to put together. It feels like, and this thing, I mean, I'm amazed at the production values of this film. They go everywhere with this i mean they're in greece they're allegedly in you know the the courthouse of the scopes monkey trial i'm not sure if that's 100 legit or not but they're all over with this kind of like they're all over the map like you said dave with the history of this film in a way this could easily have just been a youtube video right if they didn't actually travel to these locations and just green screened it all and everything like that like youtubers could could produce something like this easily right like this youtubers are past this at this point <laughs> which I, again that's not like and I, i'm i'm not even saying that to sort of you know knock the film or anything like that i'm just saying that that at, like as a form that's where we're at you know like th this is a youtube level video at this point I would say that the fanciest part of it is those opening graphics where we get headlines flying around. And it's interesting that they're picking out these labels and 
labeling Robertson and just showing how misinterpreted he's been by the mainstream media. This is pretty much an attack on fake news, right? This is all of these horrible things that these people are saying about this person. And how do we know this? I mean, coming to this, I will be 100% honest. I had no idea who Phil Robertson was. I've never watched that show. And they're trying to trick ducks into having sex with fake ducks. Whatever. If that floats your boat, that's great. And then I did hear like, oh, yeah, and this guy's really homophobic. But then they're labeling him things like uh, a pedophile and a racist and all of these things. I'm just like, OK, is that really what people were saying about it? they were calling him a pedophile? That seems kind of weird. And I'm like, where's the basis for that? I can see like thinking from the Stone Age or whatever, that kind of stuff. But the rest of it, I was like, where are these labels coming from? This is this is kind of odd. If I remember right, he said something about getting a wife when she's young so you can train her properly yeah and yeah he's talking real young like i if i remember right again uh i have to give that caveat uh he was talking like 14 15 i want to say yeah it was barely pubescent basically. and the sad thing is the age of consent for for marriage or whatever you want to call it it's that low in a bunch of states some of them don't even have some states don't have a a minimum age cutoff so I could marry a baby if I wanted to. Yeah, if you want to go through all that. I mean, have you ever seen a baby plan a wedding? Just the cake tasting alone. <laughs> this one's very smashable. I'll take this. I think this icing is really good for my skin. And really, the only thing that we hear from Robertson in this opening montage is we get some clips from some sort of speech that he was making where he holds up what I assume to be his family Bible held together by duct tape. If it was duct tape, I suppose that would be fantastic. Duct tape and uh, is basically like this is the word of God kind of thing. And he talks about how 110 million Americans have a sexually transmitted disease and pretty much that that can be solved by there being a relationship between one man, one woman. To your point, Chris, when they're young, they get together. They don't have any other sexual partners and that's it. And that's how we can basically beat STDs. AIDS, everything is by proper, quote unquote, marriage of a heterosexual marriage. So that's where we start with that. And it isn't until about three minutes and 10 seconds that he kind of like comes out of the swamp and stands there on the ground, looks at camera and begins what is a sermon. It is a, a pretty much an hour long sermon where he he does take little breaks here and then, but is almost entirely him speaking. We see him throughout the entire world as he's giving this, uh, well, certain places in the world where he's giving this uh, sermon. And then the rest of it is if we're not seeing him, we're seeing stock footage or I swear to God, sometimes it looks like they're taking movie clips. Like when I see pieces from quote unquote Nazi Germany and people are wearing stars that say Jew on them rather than Juden, I'm just like, I think that's from a movie. I don't think that they actually said Jew on them. I think they said Juden on them. So that's what they were painting on the windows. Yeah, they were playing, painting Jew sometimes and then sometimes Juden. So I'm just like, all right, some of this seems like legit, and other times it seems like movie clips, which kind of, 
I don't know, takes a little bit away from your argument. And then underneath it all is very, very dramatic music. So it is, we are being driven here. And then there's some cool computer graphics now and then to take us from one area to another. Because we break this down into, I don't know, roughly eight sections throughout history that kind of prove his points. Though at, at the end of it, I'm not sure if I necessarily know what points he's making, but hopefully we can kind of sum- summarize and maybe discover those as we go along here. I mean, he starts it off with, in the beginning. And he doesn't say, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He just says, in the beginning, God. And that's it. And he starts talking about the Big Bang. And basically, the Big Bang is silly because what happened before the Big Bang, it's easier for him to be to believe that there was a causality behind the Big Bang or behind the creation of everything. And then he doesn't want to go one step beyond that and say what caused the causality. He just stops with God and that's he's fine with that. It's easier to believe that there is a big man in the sky uh, before the Big Bang. He was probably pretty lonely and he wanted this stuff to happen. So he just created the heaven and earth. And that's where we begin. And then oddly... We go into the Scopes trial, which, of course, is, you know, uh, we are we're jumping into what, 1925, right? And going from cosmology to evolution as well. Like, like that's the answer. I guess if the two are, are related, you know, like, well, this, look at this ridiculous Big Bang and obviously this uh, this monkey nonsense. I mean, this is what begets yeah. that, right? If you believe in the Big Bang, you start believing people came from monkeys. And if you start believing people came from monkeys, then uh, you know what? We're all just going to hell. You've summarized the entire film. I mean, I really think, though, that that's the thinking, right? Yeah. Because this is, this is like very classic sort of Christian apologetics, right? <laughs> like, oh, well, the Big Bang's ridiculous because what caused the Big Bang? Well, you know, the answer I don't know uh, is an uncomfortable answer, but it's also a truthful answer. Mm. And, and I think that's what these people are struggling with to some extent, not with the truth, although they do struggle with the truth, but uh, they they struggle with uncertainty. They struggle with the idea that um, they may not know how something happens. And so, uh, you know, in the absence of that knowledge, fairy dust is just fine for them. You know, that's that's okay As as long as it gives them something they can point to and say it makes this happen. Uh, then, then that's way more uncomfortable to them than saying that, well, actually, that's a bit mysterious or actually that's a bit complicated. If you ask anybody that argues the Big Bang with you, if God did all this, then where did God come from? And their answer is, he's always been. <laughs> that's, that doesn't, that's not an answer. That's, what about before the before? They touch on this, they touch on the Garden of Eden, how once they ate from the, the tree that they die. I mean, that's just explaining why we live, why our bodies do this, why we don't get to live forever, why we would be so arrogant to think that we should live forever ever anyway. I mean, I, I hit 40 a few years ago, and now you wake up with all these different pains, and it's like, well, that's okay, I'm falling apart. Now I'm done. It's happening. I've had a good run. I'm ready to go. I and it's it's so funny to 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 go and research creation myths and see how insane some of them are from all over the world. 
And the one that the Robertson here is 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 talking about is kind of boring when you look at the other ones. There's no creativity for it for me in this well, one. <laughs> I, I think the pro the problem that happens, and this is the problem that that Christians uh, and not to bag entirely on Christians, but a lot of religious people run into is that you're trying to explain something like the existence of a universe, right? Which is a really complicated thing. We don't understand it. And we're trying to explain how that came into existence by saying, well, it happened because this, you know, supreme being willed it into existence. Well, something that can will a universe into existence is is infinitely more complicated than than the universe, right? So you're actually suggesting something more complicated existed before and created a less complicated thing for some reason. To what end did this happen? And and in what world do you live in where more complicated things turn into less complicated things? You know, like <laughs> it, it just doesn't make sense, right? It just like there, there's that classic argument about, well, obviously, you know, God created the universe because, you know, it wasn't just random chance. You don't see a tornado hitting a, a you know, a scrapyard and it assembles a jumbo jet, right? That doesn't happen. Uh, and they're right that that doesn't happen. Uh, but to suggest that somebody willed the aircraft into existence, uh, y you know, from elsewhere that is unobservable and, and unknowable to human beings is, is a far more complicated idea than a tornado putting it together first shot. And wrapping your head around that is hard, you know, like, like, like some people have a really difficult time with like that, just concepts like that. Like just, I don't know. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. Because you should always follow. I don't know. With let's find out exactly. I think I, I'm trying to remember where I where I first read this, but I think it was Sam Harris. But he he had said a thing about how every day, you know, all these children uh, under five will will choke to death on a piece of hot dog at their birthday party, uh, and this happens every day. And and imagine the horror of that, right? Like that's just a horrifying fact. If God has a hand in everything and is all powerful and, and, and is, you know, is this just being, what is the purpose of these horrible? And, and this is just one example of, of infinite, horrible lives and deaths that are happening every second. Okay. Hold on a minute. You, you, you really think that something that could, that has that kind of power, why is it letting four-year-olds choke to death at their own birthday parties? Well, then if you go to, well, it's part of God's plan, then you start opening up the determinism area. And then it's like, <laughs> well, if that's determined, then is it determined for me to pick up an AK-47 and just start spraying the school? Mm. I mean, exactly. And if you follow that kind of thinking, so let's let's make it a given here that, that uh, yep, God uh, knows all. Uh, he's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He, he knows everything that's going to happen. You can't do otherwise. You can't do other than what you're doing right now, no matter what it is. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. So so we're here doing this show. There's nothing we could do otherwise. Even if we wanted to, it couldn't happen. But if, you know, somewhere somebody, you know, people are, are you know, shooting people and putting them in a ditch full of lime, well, they, they have to be doing that. They, there's no other – they don't have a choice. 
You know, this was all preordained from the second the universe sprang into existence. How could we even hold somebody accountable for that? It's shocking that this is a concept of justice, right? <laughs> like, but like, how how could we possibly hold somebody to account if they have no ability to do otherwise? As Mr. Robertson so expertly said, the Nazis were only following orders. Uh, <laughs> you see how already we're just all over the place. It's. <laughs> It's the wheels have just completely come off. Because <laughs> that whole thing, it's just so... The whole... Okay, first. I was impressed with how well made it was. I yes. honestly expected, like, the conspiracy theory level YouTube video stuff. Um, but they put a lot of money into this. I'll, I'll give them that. Yeah, it was not like a Miley Silas reptilian eye video. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If you look right here, no, calm down. Although I, I, I can't. We got Alex Jones advising the president too, right? So, well, it's also using Citizen Citizens United money to make this thing happen. That's right. It did say that in the beginning, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. I gotta meet that guy one day, right? Because corporations are people you now. It's like the master control unit from Tron. I'd actually want to meet that one, especially if it's not like David Warner. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't help that we are really jumping all over the place. Once we get past this beginning, in the beginning type of part, we're you know talking about Scopes trial, and then we're jumping back to ancient Greece to kind of talk about this. And really, I will say that one of the major themes of this film is to talk about the worship of humanity as the higher power rather than leaving everything into God's hands. And that just seems to be one of those things that Robertson keeps coming back to again and again, is that when people think that they know what morality and what justice is, that that's when everything goes kablooey. That I don't necessarily agree with because to him, he always looks at the extreme and we see the French Revolution, and he's talking about blood running in the streets and Nazi Germany and just how horrible these things are. And it's like, yeah, I don't think that that's the extreme of this stuff. That is not self-determination. you know. And, and I think that that all does go back to the Garden of Eden and this whole idea of how dare Eve eat this fruit from the Tree of Knowledge because that basically becomes the curse of man. It is our original sin, right? I never got this when I'm uh, even as a kid and hearing about Christian myths. I'm just like the tree of knowledge. That sounds like a really good thing. You would think you would want people to have knowledge, but that becomes our curse. You know, they just wanted people to be dumb. I don't, I don't get that. So knowledge to me has always been one of those things to which I aspire as opposed to sticking my head in the sand and just being like, la, 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 everything's fine, and I'm going to name all these animals, and me and Eve are going to wander around the Garden of Eden and do whatever the fuck we want to do, but other than eat from that tree. But if you, if you take the, the Bible the way I do as a controlling literary device, I guess, you're basically telling the people that are in the church, don't bother learning anything, I know it all. If you learn anything else, you'll be miserable. Exactly. These are the same people who will complain that, oh, well, these Muslims uh, are only taught the Quran and they, they only learn enough uh, Arabic to learn the Quran. 
And yeah. it's like, you know, you would have had, you, you know, that's a far better education, actually, than most, you know, <laughs> Roman peasants would have gotten. Uh, certainly none of them would have been, you know, reading or anything like that or being taught any alphabet for that matter. So it's just it's again, it's this other like it's this absurd projection almost where it's like, oh, yeah, well, see, those guys are bad, too. Yeah, the whole the whole thing is is based on perceived persecution and martyrdom of one of the top three religions in the world. Yeah. And, and it was amazing to me how he talks about uh, Rome and how Christians were thrown to lions, whether that happened or not, whatever. And, you know, bread and circuses and Nero and the fire and all that. And then, hey, let's skip over the fact of the point where uh, when it became a Christian city, they killed pagans <laughs> by the friggin' boatload. Let's yeah, exactly. Or all of that. He skips. He skipped from was it was it the 1700s to the early 1900s. Well, and he skipped from C65 or 68 to which, and, and he ignores most of the planet. Yeah, <laughs> that, that that's what I find interesting is yeah. like Phil Robertson's conception of history, like. The entire African continent does not exist. Right. Uh, China, Asia, like all that stuff, you know, it just does not exist. You know, they, they do not factor into human history. It's <laughs> it's such a like Eurocentric thing. It's unbelievable. With the Scopes trial stuff, yes, martyrdom, even to the point of like, look at how bad people are. They're making fun of our religion. They're asking these things like, who was Cain's wife? That's just unfair. And it's like, oh, come on, Phil. Get, get, get it together. Yes, you can poke holes in the Bible so easily. you got to have some good answers for that shit. If you're going to say that this is a little truth, then come on, let's let's talk about this stuff. But the thing that gets me is... So then all of a sudden he brings up Darwin and it's just like, oh man, Charles Darwin to a lot of Christians who don't understand what atheism is, they think that atheists worship at the altar of Charles Darwin. And it's like, don't have a Darwin altar at home. (laughs) It's over in the Northeast corner. It's in the Northeast corner of my house. I, I personally hail Sagan. (laughs) <laughs> the southeast corner that is my uh that's my albert einstein uh so yeah it just becomes a in the liquor like, cabinet is my um hitchens as a true atheist my shrine is to myself <laughs> and then he flips it within a matter of seconds he flips it from evolution and darwinism to whoop social darwinism and <laughs> suddenly started talking about eugenics and it's just like dude what the fuck are you talking about like you might as well go out and start shooting horse breeders and and dog breeders because that those are eugenicists you know those are as much eugenicists as as the the nazis were it's just like come on dude stop eating everything okay your 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 fruits and vegetables eugenics this is horrible social darwinism that went in these are ungodly vegetables uh you know your animals all the animals that we've raised ungodly unclean animals you know may god strike you down if you dare you feast upon their flesh if you're eating a johnny gold apple you are eating an abomination Mm, absolutely you're eating a little piece of the devil right there I mean, that's how that's how it gets you at, like, the molecular level. It starts changing your DNA. 
Alex Jones. It's not in Chile, though. It's definitely not in big bowls of chili. And ducks. Ducks are ducks are good, though. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and then he jumps into ancient Greece mm-hmm. to talk about Paul of Tarsus, talking about Paul going around and like, oh, you guys have a lot of great gods here, but I serve the one, the unknown God. You have an altar to the unknown God. That's the God that I worship. And I'm just like, wow, you're trying to hijack another religion again. You know, like... <laughs> I'm driving behind a car today that says, keep the Christ at Christmas. And I'm just like, you realize that that is a celebration of the winter solstice, right? Shouldn't, shouldn't it be keep the sun in the solstice or something like that? It's like, come on, guys. Yep. On top of that, which Christ? I mean, hey, listen, I'm a Catholic, you filthy Protestant heathen. You know, like I'm, I am sick and tired of these dirty heretics. Okay, <laughs> running around thinking they can do whatever they want. But you know what? I pray for them every night. They all come home to Rome. We forget that just, what, 20 years ago, there were Irish killing one another because some were Protestants and some were Catholics. White Christian terrorists. No, they're freedom fighters. There are no such thing <laughs> as white Christian terrorists. They're freedom fighters. Yeah, I know. According to Phil, there are. Jesus on. fighters. <laughs> That's what we can call them. The rules are different when you're doing you it for you Jesus. You didn't. I mean, like, like, let's let's sneak that point in there. Then the rules are different when you're doing it for Jesus, mm. because Phil likes to talk about how you know man placing value on human life is is you know what leads to all this horror and abomination because man has no basis upon which to value human life without God and and all this other stuff. Yet, okay, so we're we're gonna place our value in the hands of an unknowable being. Uh, who is, I mean, I dare you to read the Bible and, and among other things, not conclude that he's at least a little bit capricious and, and, you know, got some issues where he likes to change his mind a lot. Is that what we want to do? Because our values one day could be this. And then God will say, well, you know what? Actually, I'm going to need you, uh, you know, say Joshua here, you're going to need to go uh, kill a bunch of Hittites and you're going to need to kill their women and children, too. And I know that's bad, but, you know, just this once, it's going to be OK. Yeah, that's that's after the Ten Commandments, right? When thou it's, shalt not kill. So, yeah. So, so, so you have to ask yourself, like, like, like at least and, and, and we can talk about you know, what human metrics for morality might be, but at least whatever those metrics are, they're metrics, <laughs> right? <laughs> With God, the same, well, God, you know, because, because I mean, is it the Catholic one? Is it the Protestant one? Is it even a Christian one? You know, could, could it be, oh my God, Allah, is that possible? Like, you know, is it Vishnu? Is it, what is it? <laughs> So uh, it, it's difficult, right? Like, like it's difficult to get to get out of that that trap. So we go Greece, Rome, and then we jump right to the New World, and we jump right to the Pilgrims, and it's like, wow, there were no Dark Ages or or Spanish Inquisition or Council of Trent or anything like that. We are just bam right to the New World, and talking about a sect of of Christianity, the Pilgrims who come over to what is the U.S., completely forgetting about anybody else who might have visited the United States at all. It is just, it is that simplistic 
like Thanksgiving fairy tale where the pilgrims came over, they founded the new world, and then everything was okay. We're not going to talk about the slaughter of the Indians. We're not going to talk about anybody else who was here first. And then we kind of forget that the founding fathers were very much into the separation of church and state because Phil goes right into quoting the Declaration of Independence and saying that you can only have life, liberty, and happiness because they come from God. And it's like, I can hear Thomas Jefferson just spinning in his grave as he's saying that. And he says that respect for the dignity of all comes from the Bible, which just, I wish I knew where that passage came from. Like, I understand, like, he is so talking Old Testament through so much of this. And it's like, okay, yeah, Jesus, he was a pretty darn, darn good guy. Like, his teachings and stuff, the whole, the golden rule, like, to me... That is so much of like this whole problem that we have with morality is like you could really answer a lot of this stuff if you just said do unto others as they would do unto you as like, wow, that would that would really solve a lot of shit. But it's like <laughs> he keeps coming back to this whole idea of like when you strip away the belief in God, man starts to determine what's right and wrong. And that's where we get into trouble. And it's like. Okay, I and at one point I think he even talks about like oh people just say like there is morality and it's that again going back to like the misinterpretations uh, of atheism, people think that if you don't have God in your life again you're just going to go out and murder everybody because you don't have a moral compass and it's like uh guys even the Pope says that you're you're a better person if you are a moral atheist than if you are a hypocritical Christian. This shit literally drives me crazy sometimes. <laughs> like when you really like start to start to think about it and just go like, how is it possible that that you that you think this? But when you sort of break it down, right? When we talk about respect for the dignity of all, and it can only come from the Bible, and you can only get your morals from the Bible because that's the only place that can tell you the right thing to do. This is because it's straight and simple. I mean, you know, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not going to candy coat it. It's brainwashing. This is brainwashing, right? This is, this is, you must be taught from day one to reject your own senses, right? <laughs> to take all of the things that you, you see and sense and feel and reject them and supplant them with something else. Right. And with this, you know, doctrine, with this uh, Bible, with this, uh, you know, political tract, like it doesn't matter what it is. It, it, it can be all kinds of things. People do Jesus. People do Nazis. People do, you know, Girl Scouts. People do whatever. It, you know, it's what gets you. It's basically what gets you first. I think the Nazis used to say the, the greatest source of new brown shirts was the communists they could flip them easily because they're already ready to to be radical and and to they're already have this agenda where they're going to you know they're out to fight and topple the government so it's pretty easy to say okay well hmm. come hang with us right i mean they're they're all ready to go it doesn't matter what you're replacing their senses with as long as you replace it and then you replace it with something that's infallible that they can't question and that they need somebody to actually uh, interpret and arbitrate for them. And and you've completely <laughs> removed the person, right? So now the person doesn't even trust themselves to see reality as it is. They don't they don't trust themselves. 
And now this is how control is established over your, your own sense of cognitive dissonance. And, and you just sort of sublimate all that beneath this doctrine that's being heaped on you. And at the same time, you're being told that not only are your senses flawed because of your sinful body or whatever the, the case is, but the world, the present world that you live in right now is deeply flawed and can cannot be uh, reconciled. So it must be, there must be some, you know, action. I mean, we must take action to, to change it so that we can have this glorious future, you know, and, and in the case of Christians, that glorious future is literally outside of our lifetimes even. But you have to remember too, that uh, we don't want Sharia law coming in here with its um, <laughs> oppressive religious laws. Well, so we supplant one for the other then. <laughs> I, I don't see much difference between um, people saying that women have to cover themselves or, or, or any, any, Sure, quote unquote Sharia law stuff, and saying that women aren't in charge of their own bodies or everyday stuff like movie ratings are are influenced by religion, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Right. Oh God, it's just the whole thing of these atheists want to take in God we trust off of our money, and these atheists want to remove under God for the pledges pledge of allegiance. It's like. Dude, you remember that that wasn't added till 1954, right? No, but that's, uh, this is a filthy heathen lie. It wasn't at all meant to root out communists because they can't say those words, apparently. I had such a problem in grade school with the Pledge of Allegiance because I, I refused to say it. Because being raised atheist, I was just like, yep, yeah, no, I'm out. Sorry. My girls will say um, under guard. So they're still saying stuff. I said, you could say underdog. You could say nothing. It's fine. You don't even have to say the Pledge of Allegiance according to the law, but go ahead and do it. Oh, and then explaining sin to them. I said, all right, there's this really dumb thing. All right, they made this up, so you feel bad, so you go to church, so they can control you, and then take your land and burn you at the stake. Well, they are women, so yeah. they do deserve it. Yeah, they're it. fucked. Chattel. I like how we are saying that Planned Parenthood is not an avenue for women to control their own bodies. It is actually... The real truth behind Planned Parenthood is that it is a scheme for eugenics, that we're going to weed out the weak from the strong by aborting babies of people that actually need abortions. I don't I, I don't understand where we're going with that. But every time we're talking about eugenics, we are linking that to Planned Parenthood. And basically, Planned Parenthood is the new Holocaust. Yeah, there was no decent way for them to work that into the narrative. So that's what they did. Somebody watched a little too much Max Headroom and thought the body banks were eventually going to happen. And um, that's how they freak out about it. I don't, I don't understand it all. And I couldn't make out a single word, those hidden cameras things that were completely debunked, how they I couldn't even make out what they were saying. Right. Yeah, there should have been some subtitles in there. That was basically the Carly Fiorina stuff where she was uh, talking about this horrible Planned Parenthood footage of people talking about how much money they make off of uh, the the tissue donations and stuff. Yeah. And then showing the fake footage of the uh, the the decimated bodies of these uh, fetuses. And they're just like, uh, yeah, we've kind of already talked about what this is we've put it into proper context we've talked about how this is faked but okay i mean that that is as real as the 
fake footage, and especially the fake footage. Uh, now it's my turn to jump around. <laughs> the fake ass footage of those Al Qaeda people, mm. especially in the last <laughs> segment where we we're talking about how Christians are currently being prosecuted, because there is such a to to bring back to martyrdom. There's this whole thing of like how Christians are being prosecuted so much throughout history, and especially now. There are attacks against Coptic Christians. There are attacks against these, uh, you know, people, uh, by Al Qaeda and, um, uh, Boko Haram and all of these different groups. And they were just only targeting Christians, according to this. And all of that footage, mixing that staged footage that they were shooting for this documentary in with news footage, it's like, Okay, yeah, uh, we are really giving the impression that this is real footage, but this is obviously being acted out, multi-camera shoots, the one guy being lit on fire inside of a cage. I'm just like, yeah, this is all shot for this documentary. You guys realize that, right? Or being shot for something else and then used by this documentary. I, I, there was one, there was one of the, uh, I'll use quotes again, terrorists with a, with a shotgun and, and that made me just sit back for a second because I don't I don't recall seeing anybody with a shotgun. That's not a good battlefield weapon. That's a, it's a trench weapon. It's it's up close, and you're not gonna. I just didn't. That made me question the validity of all of it. I don't know why it was that one thing, but it was just. It seemed so out of place. It seemed so '80s action movie. I don't know. It was weird. What struck me about that. And, and about a lot of the other stuff in the movie too, but, but that in particular is that they go for the, for the hyper real, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to the real, they go for this hyper heightened reality. And I, th- I think that's interesting, right? I, th- I think that that's like a, it's, it's a way for them to, to really propagandize this stuff without saying anything. They don't yeah. say anything, but they have this really dramatically staged thing. It's all lit. And, you know, you got your multi-camera angles, you know, like you're seeing this really dramatic footage that's telling a story all its own and, and really inviting the viewer to kind of <laughs> make their own conclusions. And to me, that's what's interesting because these people are – Completely, and when I say these people, I mean I'm. I guess I'm really specifically talking about Bannon and company. Uh, don't care about reality, mm. right? They don't care that that's fake. They don't care that yeah, fine, we produced that for dramatic effect. It doesn't matter that 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 a lot of what they're doing is is at best manipulative. Mm. <laughs> you know, that, that truly does not matter to them because they're of the mind that there are no bad tactics only bad targets <laughs> there's no steve bannon is is not a, even a i mean it's surprising not surprising to me that he's a friend to a you know a guy like phil robertson you know help makes him helps him make a movie if only because yeah bannon bannon is trying to ride on the republican party he needs a guy like phil robertson who that base of the Republican Party is still this holdover from the 70s with with Nixon and the Southern strategy, right? That solid, solid Republican base is still all those, you know, evangelicals that the the party has been cultivating since the late 60s. 
they've got to deal with these people to a certain extent. They've got to pander to them to a certain extent because this is the bulk that's going to get them over the top, right? <laughs> these are the people they're going to stand on the heads of when they want to go take power, right? And, and that's exactly what has happened. The people that form that evangelical base are not being replaced generationally at nearly the right they need to be to sustain themselves. So these people are actually diminishing. And so the Republican Party needs to get new people. They need new. They need to attract new blood. And I think that was a big part of, of Steve Bannon's overall mission. I mean, he, he recognized that mass media was the best way to, to influence people. So we got into filmmaking and all that. Right, started making these movies, and then next thing you know, he, you know he's making something like Torchbearer, where he's courting these evangelical Republicans. I don't think he believes any of the things that are in this movie. I don't think he cares if they're true or not. He doesn't believe it because they basically say Nazis are bad. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How could he possibly agree with that? I mean, that's right. a little off message for him, right? It is, yeah. Acknowledging the Holocaust is off message as well. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, these are, like, it, it's that reality that he's trying to create, right? And he's winking. He's doing this, but he's also winking at the the sort of youth wing that they are building, right? Who are like, yeah, this Phil Robertson guy, he's, a, he's, a, he's an idiot. Who cares? Like, this is just what we need to do in order to clear the way for us. For all the Pepe lovers out there, they don't come out and say things like science is bad, but they do come out and they say, oh, these people in the age of science section, these people were saying that all humanity's ills can be solved by science and then cut to nuclear weapons. <laughs> and it's like nuclear weapons gave people technical arrogance, which is just an amazing term. So technical arrogance, and then that is the same thing, even though that's the end of World War II, and then he cuts into the beginning of World War II, and then he starts blaming Nietzsche for World War II, which is amazing. This whole idea of using science for mass extinction for the Holocaust, and it's just like, look at look at how bad science is. They treated this like a scientific project. This is horrible. How bad science can be. It's like it's not he's not necessarily decrying man's inhumanity to man. He's more decrying the use of science and the worship, quote unquote, of science, that that's what leads to this horrible thing. And also because man is self-determined. And immediately they're going to go to evil. That's the same thing that happened in the French Revolution. That's the same thing that's happening here. And that's the same thing that's happening today. People are feel that they have the right to make decisions about morals. And it is just leading to these terrible situations where blood is running through the street, where bodies are piling up and stinking in, in open pits. It's just like... He's not coming out and saying these things, but that's everything that we're seeing, the way that all of this stuff is being put together. It is just science is really bad, guys. And, you know, you got to just go away from science, get away from that stuff. Got to go. You got to get back to, to God. Send him to the Christian pens. There's such a, a, a dissonance here between uh, Robertson saying that the first people who were targeted in Germany were the clergy, the resistance, the homosexuals, and the gypsies. And I'm like, 
that goes against your message. If you think that that homosexuals are no better than beasts, then why do you have a problem with that in this section? You know, have you read anything that you've actually said? <laughs> that goes against what you are saying right here. Well, Phil Robertson has a has a bachelor's in physical education, if I'm not mistaken. I, I was curious because I actually wanted to see if he had any any sort of religious uh, training at all, if he had, had done any religious academia or anything like that. And uh, yeah, clearly has not. So <laughs> it, it's he's probably never asked himself a lot of these questions. But I mean, in, in a lot of this film, it looks like he's just reading off off screen anyway. Oh, yeah. So who knows? It's it's also difficult to say how much of this he believes. Like, I'm not sure how real Phil Robertson is. Right. Uh, well, it's very telling that he doesn't even get writing credits. Yes. That it's, you know, story by Zach Dasher, who we'll hear from a little bit, uh, written by Steve K. Bannon and Rebecca Mansour. And it's just like, okay, so the, what, what what was Robertson's involvement in this? Because it is very much given like a sermon. Is this something that he might have said in his church? I don't think so. I think this is, to your point, it's all manufactured. Yeah, he's and just a he's just a face to sell the product. Steve Bannon is a deeply, deeply cynical human being. The idea that he is approaching a mass audience with anything like sincerity. Is, is a, a complete myth. Uh, you, you will never find that. Uh, he sees mass media as a means to manipulation of a mass audience, which, yeah, it's what it is. <laughs> Break it down. That's what it is. And I think he just realized uh, rightly uh, over time that that film is going to only capture you one demographic and the Internet is really the, the where the real game is being played now. You make Torchbearer because you still got the retirees kicking around. Uh, who you got to, you know, okay, get them on board with Duck Dynasty and all that. Yeah, but but where the, the real game is being played on the internet with, you know, the youth, right? With 20-year-olds. Oh, you got to scare them. I mean, that's that's the whole basis of it, isn't it? Uh, politics through through fear? He did a documentary, he being banned, did a documentary of Occupy Unmasked. I mean... Where he is echoing the whole sentiments of uh, uh, Glenn Beck, the whole you know these Occupy people will come in and murder you in your sleep, you know, <laughs> just like what? And yeah, he's just all about capitalizing on whatever the latest thing is. You know, he, he did a, a documentary called District of Corruption, where he's talking about how corrupt DC is. And here he is part of the corruption machine as it is, you know, like the whole drain the swamp thing. He's a swamp monster. He's a, he's a beast from out of the swamp. And here he is, you know, like made that documentary. He realized that that's where he needs to be. That's where the money is. I got to go. I, I started that off as a joke, but it's true. How often do you think Bannon was off masturbating when they were shooting at uh, Auschwitz? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Oh my god, he but must have loved that trip. Like that. Somebody, how long they were there, right? Uh that's a oh, that's an awful lot of lubricant there, Steve. Yep, lube and energy drinks. <laughs> it's so we can give five minutes to the civil rights section of this of the film, which is just like, what the fuck is this doing in here? Oh, like, it's the not racist, right? 
oh yeah, we're just paying lip service to the civil rights struggle. And it's just like, oh yeah, it's really bad when people are mean to black people too. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> but if he's following the rules from his Bible, then um, they're slaves and you can beat them as long as they don't die. The Bible cannot even get over the fact that you can't own other human beings. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure what kind of source of morality that's supposed to be. Yeah, it's like, which section do you want to take apart here? <laughs> you know? And yeah, is it Old Testament, New Testament? Are we counting the Book of Mormon in here? I mean, really, if he's talking about people who were, quote unquote, persecuted for the religion... We can talk about the way that the Mormons were treated and why they had to move out of New York into Illinois and then out of there into Utah. I mean, that's a perfect story for this, but no, because they are viewed as a fringe group. I mean, really, he he talks about Jim Jones in here, and I'm like, well, really, they're kind of uh, similar to what you guys are doing, but because they were a quote-unquote cult, and I'm just like, wow, there's such a fine line between cult and what you're describing here. Yeah. Oh, that, that's such an easy word for them to throw. It's like, oh, those guys, they're a cult. Not us. Not not us. We're legit. We're, we're a mainstream cult. We have millions of people, not just like 40. Well, you see, we've built up our influence over millennia, and so therefore we're not a cult anymore. Yep. We are We are waiting for the return of Jesus, not Hale-Bopp. Right. <laughs> Let's be serious here, guys. Can you believe Come those on. crazy people? But, you know, when he makes the point in the civil rights section, too, and he keeps going back to this this biggest stick, you know, and, and this there's no justice without God and everything just comes down to the man with the biggest stick determines your worth. The fact that he fails to conclude that the God he's arguing for is the ultimate big man with a stick <laughs> determining your worth is really odd to me. Yeah. Um, and, and I think again, like evidence that like, I don't, it, it's almost not fair to engage people like this in, in, in this sort of thing, because they're not, these aren't academics. These aren't intellectuals. I'm certainly not either, which is why I'm able to, to pick apart a Phil Robertson, but it just, it, it, it demonstrates how ill prepared they are for the task. If they actually took their audience seriously, but they don't. Yeah, this final section, the present day section, is the most troublesome. So if people want to just, if if you ever feel the desire to watch this documentary, which I can't necessarily recommend, but if you ever feel the desire, you can jump right to the present day section because this really kind of is the culmination of all of his his arguments, quote unquote, because he starts off by talking about how when you take out God as the anchor to your civilization, you open the door to tyranny. And again, that just kind of, you know, it's like, okay, well, God isn't in a lot of civilizations that aren't tyrannical. So, yeah, you're kind of not there. And I'm not going to just like pick this apart and stuff, but there are so many things that he's just like not thinking through, you know, talking about like, you know, our government and how our government is so great that we've got the free press, we've got the checks and balances. And then he doesn't talk about the separation of church and state, because that's also a fantastic thing about our government, is that we do have this secular government where we have taken away the you know, the God-King concept, and that seems to be, you know, it seems like our own democracy 
goes against, we have taken God out of the equation for a good reason, because of the way that a religious leader can become this dogmatist and control things. But rather than looking at that, he then says, oh, well, you know, because the communists, they were godless and they were, you know, that that was all really bad. And it's like, okay, yeah, you're not necessarily the, the, the communist government and the U.S. government, obviously some different creatures here, but one's godless in one way or supposed to be and one's godless in another way. And really, you're you're comparing apples to oranges here, and it's just like, I mean, I, I, to your point, Dave, I'm not a logistician or anything, so it's just like, yeah, I, I, it feels like if somebody as dumb as me can poke hole all these holes in this guy's arguments, and just see what a load of bunk this is, it just feels like to somebody who is a, a much smarter person. Their head might explode watching this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would love to 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 sit down and show Phil Robertson uh, a, a, a copy of the Treaty of Tripoli, uh, in in which Article Eleven states, "As the government of the United States of America is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion, and has in itself no character of enmity against the laws, religion, or tranquility of the Muslims." This was in seventeen ninety six. <laughs> There's your founding fathers, my friend. Uh, if you were making this movie to be a serious person and you were taking your audience seriously and you wanted to really uh, make a compelling case, uh, you have to deal with things like that. Hmm. You would have to find some way to like, OK, well, now I've got to deal with the Treaty of Tripoli. How do I how do I work that out? And And trust me, there's there's. Christian apologetics who who have a story for this they'll they'll give you a a whole justification for why that's untrue or wrong or whatever <laughs> and uh, but but Phil Robinson doesn't even seem to bother you know it's not important to him to sort of get into those complex things and and again we're I think it's we're we're up against two things it's like fear of the unknown and fear of complexity and and these. I think both of these things are going to be uh, what really harms our civilization in a, in a serious way because we're not prepared. Just as Phil Robertson isn't prepared to engage his audience seriously about what he believes, we as a society are, are not prepared to seriously engage uh, a number of topics just because of, of the fact that they are complex and they don't have easy answers and they're, they're not easily engageable and we can't make a viral video that's going to sum up how you should feel about it. We're, we're, we pull away from that complexity. We want simplicity. We want things to make sense. We want things to happen for a reason and, and we want to be able to know why. And so we cripple ourselves in a way. Mm. by doing this and and i that's a great i think a lot of that is a is a a precursor to uh to this trump era <laughs> this whole notion that that hey we can be we can be led by a reality tv star that's okay and be preached to by another reality right. tv star yeah he kind of strikes me as a person that never wanted to be in that position but other people have thrust him into it so now he's just going with it at least yeah. that's kind of what I hope. The kind of aw shucks thing he's got. Yeah, but to 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 speak to the 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 complexity of 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 moral issues that you were you know they they when he mentions uh, saints he shows Mother Teresa 
And I'm like, well, there's a there's an extremely controversial and complex situation with her. That that's a, that could be a whole nother show. I, I first I first learned uh, uh, some of what what was what what she did accomplished and did um, with uh, Penn and Teller on their yeah. show bullshit, uh, and I was amazed. I'm like, what? Why don't? Oh, I don't even need to ask. Why don't people know that? I know why people don't know that. They don't want to because it's complicated, and so, yeah. and so we, we we need satirists yeah. to explain these things to us. Yeah, because we can't have people give it to us straight. Yeah, we're not ready. We're not. We're not ready to accept. This is not easy. These things are not easy things, uh, and and that there's actually quite a bit to these issues. Yes, yeah, so the comforting lie or the uncomfortable truth, uh, and nobody wants to hear the truth anymore. It's well, just well, make me feel good. Let me. <laughs> Or make me feel enraged because I just right. But then you have you have your your moral outrage, so you feel good because you feel something. So yeah, uh, yeah. I would rather I would rather know the truth and and grapple with that for a little while than believe a lie. Uh, the interesting thing is this is one of the things that Phil pontificates on as he talks about you know Nietzsche and goes into various uh, really poor understandings of what the guy was all about, shockingly poor understandings of what the guy was all about. But one of the things I found interesting was this, you know, this constant, you know, nihilism, 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 oh, nihilism, nihilism, nihilism. He believes in nothing. He believes in nothing, Lobolsky, nothing. I mean, say what you want about the tenets of National Socialism, dude. At least it's an ethos. I was really taken by that because I thought, you know, like... To my impression um, of, of Nietzsche in, in the limited you know, exposure I've had to him, I, I didn't get that impression. I got the impression of somebody grappling with nihilism, yes, because we all are. Um, yeah, so much about our, our existence and our identity and all of these things are, are uncertain and, and perhaps unknown and unknowable. And that's, there may not be an objective purpose. There may not be this, you are here for this reason. There may be no reason. To someone like Phil, this is a really horrifying notion because then it's just people are objects. If there's no objective purpose, if there's no guy with the big stick telling me my worth, does it mean I have no worth? Or does it mean my worth is tied to what I think of myself? Well, as he says, we may not believe in God, but we have a sentimental need to be nice to one another. And I'm just like, yeah. what? I mean, he's saying that about people like us, where it's like, we don't have God. So we feel that we have a sentimental need to be nice to one another. And it's just like, eh, I think I have a little bit more reality than it that. Is, isn't know. being nice to people like the default human condition? Yeah, yeah. Again, it goes back to that whole yeah. Room, my my you know? friend, my friend that I do the uh, Are You Serious podcast with, uh, he's boiled the Bible down to a post-it note, and it, it really the whole book is just saying, "Don't be an asshole." I mean, well, Wiccans, Wiccans when have you can their, be an asshole. Well, yeah, Wiccans have the you know uh, harm none. I mean, it's the same idea, but it gets complicated when you have to build things out of marble and gold. I guess. I don't know. I've never built a church, but. Well, and, and, and when you put 
the motivations and understanding for for all of these things outside of the realm of human experience instead of counting them as human experience, which is what they are, I think we make it all way more mysterious than it needs to be. And we make it, in a way, unreachable. Whereas if we just accepted, hey, this is this is human experience. This is it, man. You know, this this is all. There's nobody that's going to tell you, hey, you got to do things this way or you got to do things that way. But that means you've got to you've got to actually find out what means something to you. A different world arises out of people approaching life that way mm. than approaching life as where's the big stick guy. Yeah, it's a waiting room for something better. There are people who cannot imagine a world without big stick guy. It's literally outside their entire context. And so trying to imagine a world in which people are, are, you know, motivated uh, by things other than, than fear and death and, and, and all of that stuff, but are who rather have, have maybe arrived at the, at the bleak conclusion that there is no ultimate purpose to existence, but that we've used that emptiness to fill it with something. We can do that. That, That's, that's our prerogative as, as human beings. That's real. That's real freedom. Not the, not the freedom that, you know, Phil Robertson and everybody is talking about, but the real freedom, the scary freedom. Yeah. I I remember I started reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy when I was like 10 years old and I just finished it before we recorded this show and I've read it over and over again. It's, it's one of my favorite books and I was watching the movie with, with my kids and um, the whole thing with deep thought and what's the meaning of life 42. Ha ha. Um, And the girls asked me, and I've been thinking about that for a lot, like since I was 10, what is the meaning of life? And, if if I am not religious and I don't believe in any kind of higher power or anything, the conclusion I've come to is the meaning of life is to make sure your life has meaning. And that, that's up to everybody to do on their own. No one can can do that for you. And that's about as profound as I get. But that's that's scary to people. Like once once. I, I had, I had, uh, you know, my share of existential crises when, when my kids were born. And I'm like, well, what if I don't wake up? I'm going to miss everything in their lives. I won't, I know I won't see them. I won't see my pets. I won't nothing, you know, because I was told in Sunday school that, you know, animals don't have souls, so they don't go to heaven. But then Don Bluth told me different. It just all of the conflicting messages and and everything and i i I mean you you, growing up uh, the first thing uh, i think i remember the first question i had was uh in in the 70s you know tutankhamun came back he was all the rage again and um so i I early on learned about egyptian gods and i'm like well wait a minute they have a whole bunch of gods over there and we got this one that's like three things together into one it's poly monotheistic i guess so the Egyptians, they, they don't worship Ra and Horus and, and, and all of them anymore. If they're wrong, according to what I'm told, then why isn't this one wrong? Why, why aren't they all wrong? Why are they all just stories that say don't be an asshole? And why does it have to be forced on everybody? That's the frustrating part to me. It's like, do what you want in your house, as long as it's legal and or not. I don't, just don't kill people, I guess. 
don't be an asshole and keep it to yourself. You don't, uh, uh, don't censor my entertainment and art and books and tell my kids what they can and can't do, you know, to take away pre-existing conditions for my, my daughter with type one diabetes. Don't, don't, don't just nothing that's going on in the government seems like it's, it's informed by the, the goodness that is supposed to have come out of the Bible. And that's, yeah. that's frustrating because now he's, Phil's trying to tell everybody, oh, yeah, no, the Bible's great. Everything's good. We'd all be much better people if we followed that. Well, tell them to. Yeah, at least have a conclusion to all this because basically his in conclusion is 57 minutes in, he stops talking, he's in the river, and he baptizes people. And they play, shall we gather at the river, and the drone goes up and shows the whole swamp and fade out. That's it. And it's like, well, why? Yeah, it kind of didn't end on 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 any kind of conclusion from his whole thesis there. No, no call to action or anything like that. It's just oh. sort of an affirmation. Incidentally, weren't we supposed to drain the swamp? I've got a friend who's a Jehovah's Witness. And Jehovah's Witnesses get a, a really bad rap, right? Because they come around and they proselytize all this kind of stuff, which I can't fucking stand. Anybody that proselytizes, even if it's me, even if it's an atheist who's just like, you know, you're really stupid yeah. you believe in God, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just kind of like uncalled for. He's a practicing witness insofar as <laughs> this guy, he's, he's got it all. You know, they don't uh, celebrate Christmas. Uh, and they don't celebrate the birthday. And luckily, he was born on December 25th, so he gets to ignore two things right <laughs> off the bat. Well, one of the tenets of Jehovah's Witnesses is that 144,000 people are going to get into heaven, and that's it. So he's like, you know, there have been Jehovah's Witnesses for a long time, and there have probably been 144,000 people that are really, really good, better than me. So... I'm pretty much determined I'm not going to get into heaven, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be a jerk about it. So I'm just going to live my life the way that it probably should be lived, and I'm going to be happy about it. I'm not going to be mean to people, and hopefully they won't be mean to me either. And I was just like, yeah, that's that's it. You know, you can be religious, and you can be that way. You can just say, this is great. I'm going to do my thing, not proselytize, and just try to treat people the way that they should be treated. Yeah, that's nice. That's uh, it's great when you can have conversation. I had some come to my house, and my wife told them, "Don't come back, or he'll keep you here for hours." I said, "Okay, guys, I am not buying what you're laying down." I just opened the door. I'm like, "I'm gonna be nice about it," but honestly, you, you ask me questions. I want to ask you. I said, "What did you guys? What'd you witness?" And I was explained, and I'm like, "Okay, that makes sense. That's fine." So dinosaurs, and it was one of those. It's a test of faith. Like okay, it was right off the bat. They had an answer. I'm like, all right, it's ridiculous, but fine. That's good. I work with a very devout Catholic, and my job in uh, one of the lower levels, we have an actual, real Triceratops fossil, uh, full whole thing. And um, early on, working with this person, I said, how can you be young Earth creationist in a building with a 65 million year old fossil in the basement. I believe what I believe. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Okay, good. I'm like compartmentalization. Ignorance truly can be bliss. It's not a good thing, but it really does help reconcile the stuff that 
should keep you up at night. And that's what this whole movie is. It's basically saying, yeah, look at all this stuff over here, but no, God. So it's cool. Going back to my witness friend, which again brings up that snippets thing that I, I mentioned before we even started recording. You know, oh, he's my, my Jewish friend. Just making me say I was prejudiced. Do you know what uh, prejudice is? No. Well, prejudice is when you react to someone because of their religion or their color. But I don't do that. Who is Jimmy? Jimmy's one of my Jewish friends. Then you are prejudiced because you think of Jimmy as your Jewish friend and not your friend. My witness friend, one of the great things about his faith was that he is very into all of the different interpretations of the Bible insofar as you know, the original Greek, the this version, the that version, the King James, the this, the, you know, and so on and so on, because people tend to think they just say the Bible as if it was the Holy Quran or there is only one version of this. And it's like, yeah, guys, there's been many versions of this over the years. You know, you can easily do a search if you go out and say like, OK, what was this? And, the, you know, like John 316, you can go find six different versions of it because there are so many versions of the Bible. But anyway, with him, you could say like, hey, what does this, you know, what does this mean? And then he would come back and say, well, in the Greek, it was this. And in this, it was this one. And it'll just like go through and tell you all these different interpretations. And then the best thing was, and he wouldn't say, and this is mm. the right one. <laughs> Think for your damn self, yeah. please just do it. Yeah. And, and, and people like that, they're great. They're great people. And those are the kind of people who you want to respect their beliefs and do whatever you can to go. If it causes you to go out of your way, if you obviously you don't buy him a Christmas present, you don't buy him a birthday gift, but you know, you just, you don't go out of your way to make them feel uncomfortable. You treat them with the respect that they deserve because they're treating you with the respect that you deserve. But that's somebody you could actually have a nice spirited debate and, not have hard feelings afterwards. Yeah. This is somebody who actually understands that people are going to have questions and that having answers to them that, you know, may, uh, you know, to both of your points may or may not feel adequate to us, but are still answers. And, and so you can at least understand how they're, where they're coming from. What's their perspective. All right, we're going to take a break and play an interview with one of the writers of Torchbearer, Zach Dasher. Now, I do have to apologize for the audio quality. Zach was actually in the process of moving on the day that I spoke with him, and his cell phone was cutting in and out. I'm not doing any kind of, like, trickery, you know, no Planned Parenthood videos going on here. I'm not cutting around things to make him say different stuff. But So I, I hope that folks can hear everything that happened in in this interview and you know he um, i'll try my best to make him sound as as uh, good as i possibly can despite the cell phone signal but that said we'll play that right after these brief messages let me ask you a question are you getting enough i bet you'd love more right well adamneat.com wants to give you more with 10 free gifts First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, a specially selected toy for him. And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number ten, free shipping on your entire order. 
So what do you have to do to get your 10 free gifts? It's not hard. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code BOOTH at checkout, and you'll get all 10 free gifts. Go check out adamandeve.com today. Select one item and get 10 free gifts, including free shipping, when you enter offer code BOOTH. That's B-O-O-T-H at adamandeve.com. Hey. Hello. A little bit of introduction. We are the Film Room Cast. I am Albert Wiltfong. I am Austin Shin. And we talk about movies. We we talk about anything we like to our heart's content. We talk about everything from the very best films ever made to the very worst. (laughs) And we have scraped the bottom of the barrel on the worst ones. It's, It's not what you'd expect either. No, no, no. We are the uh, kind of cast for which Birdemic is a step above some of the stuff we've covered. I hesitate to say this, but The Room is a little bit higher than some of the stuff we've covered. But on the other hand, we've also covered stuff like The Godfather, Magnolia. We've covered the very best cinema has to offer, the very worst, so don't try to pigeonhole us. And of course, we like to talk about the hot-button topics. We try not to get too political, but... We take a political stance. We're people. We have to. We have a huge backlog. We've been running for about three years. We've got casts on the MPAA. We've got stuff on, like, adaptations. We've got stuff on movies that have been turned into TV shows. A couple of nostalgia retrospectives looking at things like movie theaters and video stores. Proud of those ones. And we've even got at least one cast on a movie that doesn't exist, so <laughs> got that. Oh yeah, with uh, with more to come. So that's us. That's us. Uh, so yeah, listen to the film room. I have to credit the backtrack. It is from John Carpenter's album Lost Themes. I suggest picking up that album. It's a really great album. But yeah, you can find us at thefilmroom.podbean.com or on iTunes if you prefer to subscribe there. We're out there. Yeah, thank you all. Hope you listen to us and good night. Night. Hey fans, this is Reverend Scott. Just want to tell you about Outside the Cinema. Great company. They review cult films, any cult film, every cult film. And it's something you should tune into. So if you get a chance, go to the website, look these guys up, Outside the Cinema, and find out what the hot cult films are today, what's going on. These guys are right on the cutting edge of reviewing cult movies. And if you're a cult member, or you want to be a cult member, you're thinking about being a cult member, your mom's a cult member, your dad's a cult member, your damn mother-in-law's a cult member, (laughs) tune in outside the cinema, baby, and you'll find out what's going on. Reverend Scott, and that's out. This is Adam Spiegelman, the host of my second favorite movie podcast called Proudly Resent at ProudlyResents.com, and you are listening to my favorite, the number one, The Projection Booth. Mike put so much work into it. If you listen to my show, I put no work into it. Enjoy the rest of the show, you lucky son of a gun. 
I want to know a little bit about your background because you've done so many different things. I know you've done some writing, you ran for political office, you worked in the pharmaceutical industry, and of course you worked on Torchbearer. When you meet somebody at a cocktail party, what do you tell them that you do? I guess I would say that I'm a, um, I don't want to say a political activist. I'm just a, I would say I'm more of uh, of a an activist seeking to answer the fundamental questions about life. That's my goal. That's what I'm doing. So, whatever form that takes shape in, um, I'm willing to go there. You know, but uh, but again, I'm I'm wanting to answer the fundamental questions about life, which I think every human has, which is, you know, basically, you know, how did I get here? Uh, what is my purpose here? Why am I here? And what happens after I die? You know, is that the end of it, or is there something else? And you know, I, I try to answer. I mean, really, it's it's kind of born out of my own quest for you know truth and seeking reality and uh, and all these things that I've done really play into answering that those questions. I know that you grew up as part of the quote unquote Duck Dynasty family. What was that like for you? Well, they weren't always the Duck Dynasty family. Before that, they were just they were just Robertson family. So for me, it was just you know Phil and Cy and you know and all of those characters that you see on the show. It wasn't a big deal. I never thought anything about it, to be honest with you, <laughs> until they got famous. And I said, well, I guess there's something to this. You know, I never thought, wow, in that dynasty family, I just, you know, normal folks put their, their uh, pants on one at a time like anybody else. How did the television show affect you or your life, I should say? I wasn't really involved in the television show. So for me, it really wasn't anything. I mean, other fact that it did get the way for some of the things I've done in terms of like in my congressional race, I would have never had an opportunity to do that because it would have been it would have been impossible for me to get any kind of name recognition. Um, but when you know you have a, when your family has the highest rated reality show on TV, it does pave the way for I guess notoriety or name recognition, which is the hardest part in, in politics. Can you kind of tell me the timeline as far as your career? When did you decide to get into politics or get into, you know, working um, on the movie? Did the, did the movie kind of come out of your work with Breitbart? Well, the way it all happened was um, I ran, ran for office in 2014. But after that, uh, one of the organizations that addressed me was Citizens United, which was ran by Dave and after the election was over in uh, 2015, I lost, by the way, I lost. And uh, it, was, it was a close race. I lost by about 1,500 votes. But um, but when when uh, the next year or day, the CPAC, uh, in conjunction with Breitbart, so you have uh, the Breitbart News and then uh, and then Citizens United, and they decided to give Phil an award. And Dave called me up and asked, you said you can get Phil involved or could you get Phil to at least fly to D.C. and accept this award, which is, if you know Phil, it's sometimes really difficult to do that to get him to go anywhere outside the river. Uh, but I mentioned it to Phil, and uh, he said, yeah, you know, and, uh, I'd like to get up there and get a chance to speak uh, to the conservatives. And so we flew out there, and that's where I met Steve Bannon. And uh, I said, hey, uh, you know, I've got, I know you guys do documentary films. Here's an idea that I'm, you know, been you know, mulling around, wanted to see if you guys would be interested in, in, in looking at it. So I, I sent them treatment, and uh, they liked the concept. So that's kind of how the whole thing was spurred. How did you kind of come up with the idea to do the film? I mean, it sounds like you almost had that in your back pocket for that. Basically, the um, film was birthed out of out of this idea that, 
you know, really in the, in the absence of God, man becomes the determiner of all things. And it's a very simple concept. But when I ran for office, I mean, I'm not really a political guy. I mean, I'm connected with some folks politically, but that's not really my passion. I don't really have a desire to be in office. But when you get into these discussions about economics and about politics and about, you know, uh, um, social entitlement programs or whatever it is, when you get into these discussions politically, you know, our founding fathers had a very well-vetted philosophy that is not really available and accessible today by most uh, for most people. And and so, you know, I'm making this argument. It's an argument that I've been making for 15 years, but here's the argument that that when you have a arbitrary anchor for reality, when you have an arbitrary anchor for why human life matters, for example, if we did, you ask someone, oh, well, you know, why doesn't human life matter? Well, just because it does. Well, that's not really an answer. You know, we live in a postmodern society that basically says, you know, the truth is relative and that, you know, you do what's right for you. I do what's right for me. Let's not judge one another. You know, let's be tolerant and all these, these, you know, these loaded terms that we use. The problem with that is that no one can really escape judgment. No one can really, can really be tolerant for everybody. There, there, there is this absolute anchor to, to right and wrong. Human life has intrinsic value. And so, um, you know, I wanted to show historically what happens when a society uh, attempts to, to establish some type of, of liberty or freedom on a movable anchor, which is no anchor at all, basically. So when we, we, when we attempt to make a case for liberty by beginning with ourselves, the end result has always been death and tyranny. And, and the opposite of that is, is, is we, we move this, we put this on, an, uh, on a uh, a non-arbitrary anchor, a non-movable object, is what Aristotle, you know, talked about. I mean, I didn't come up with these arguments. I mean, these, these this is the argument that, that's been going on for 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 thousands of years. I just wanted to put it in a in a form where people could access it, and they could say, and they access it and say, and and they could look at it and they could see that that in order for man to have a case for liberty, we must begin with God. After and and so I wanted to put that in form so you we could see how that's played out throughout history. Does that make sense? There's some irony when it comes to you saying that it takes a lot to get Phil out of away from the river. Here, Torchbearer is set around the globe. How was that getting him away from the river enough to get him to go to all of these amazing locations? Well, I think Phil and I. Uh, now we may differ on a few things, um, but where we're in pretty much a hundred percent agreement is, is the concept of the film. And I think Phil understood the importance of getting the message out that, Hey, look, you know, if we continue down the path of this humanistic self-focused arbitrary system that we've developed here in, in, in Western culture, and look, this is beyond Democrat. This is beyond Republican. This is beyond conservative or liberal. This transcends all of that. Um, our goal is really not necessarily, at least mine's not necessary to, to promote conservative economics, although I am conservative. Um, my goal is really to, to, to provide an anchor. And I think Phil and I were in agreement on that. I, thought, I think he really liked the concept. And so, you know, if he, if he believes in something, I mean, he's going to do it. So, I mean, you can, you can get him out of the woods if it's something that he believes in. You know what I'm saying? So that's, I just, I mean, he just believed in the project. Once you had the concept, once, Steve Bannon was interested, how does it then move from concept into actual execution? You know, I spent some time with Steve up at um, 
up in, in DC, uh, writing and whatnot. And, uh, I mean, it really moved rather rapidly. I mean, we just, we, we got in, we put our heads down and, and we worked hard. I mean, Steve, uh, is one of these guys that, um, he does 50 different things at one time. So, you know, we're, you know, being, being around him was interesting just cause I mean, he's, I mean, that guy's a juggler and, um, and he's intense and he's intentional. And, uh, so, you know, it, it actually moved pretty quick. I, I take it that, that Phil was on board pretty much from the beginning of this project. Yeah. Phil was on board. I pitched it to Phil. He said, love it. Let's do it. So then I did most of the writing with uh, Steve and Rebecca Montour and, um, and we would just go back and forth, you know, getting the script put together. And then, um, you know, Dave was heavily involved in, and, in, uh, and, you know, getting all the production in squared away. I mean, you take, you know, you take a whole crew over to Europe and go to four or five countries. I mean, it's, 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 it's an operation. And so, um, you know, we worked on that and got it all, you know, it worked pretty smooth and we had a great time doing it. It was amazing being there in Europe. You know, that was intense. And, you know, you're, look, all these things I've read about, um, I've studied, I wrote about and, uh, you know, written about. And so, if, for example, being in Athens on Mars Hill, you know, there's a passage in, in the, in the Bible, in the book of Acts, um, where it gives this historical account of the apostle Paul. And so, uh, in Acts chapter 17. So the apostle Paul, he goes in, uh, to this area called the, uh, their Areopagus, which was this group of philosophers that were, they would come to this certain uh, place in Athens and they would sit around and discuss all the latest ideas and they would talk about different philosophies, much like what you would see in America, maybe at one of our Ivy, Ivy League universities. And so these are the most brilliant men in society. The Apostle Paul comes in and it's amazing when you're there because Paul makes this incredible statement. He says that, that the Lord, he basically comes in and he sees all these different statues that they've created to worship. And Paul's going around and he says, look, I'm, I've, as I've walked around, I've noticed all your objects of worship. And he said, I even saw one with a with an inscription to an unknown God. He said, hey, you know the one that you don't know about? That's the one I'm going to tell you about. And so Paul begins to tell them about the one true God. And he says, you know, the Lord your God does not live in temples built by man's hands, which is, you know, it, when you read that in the scriptures, it's like, okay, this is just scripture. It's just religion. But then when you're there in the historical context in which it was written, you're standing there on top of Mars Hill, and you look up behind you. And you see the most incredible sight you've ever seen. You see the Acropolis, and it is unbelievable. I mean, just the, to think about the the the, the minds of, of the Athenians to be able to, to come up with such an incredible structure thousands of years ago. I mean, it's incredible. We're, we're talking 2,000 years ago, and even the ruins are incredible. But you're looking at it, and when you go up the hill and you walk into the Acropolis, there's all these signs and these guards like, don't touch anything, don't touch anything. And below Mars Hill... Um, is uh, is uh, the Temple of Zeus, and and it's in complete ruins. And so when you're there and you see this phrase in Scripture, the Lord your God does not dwell in temples built by man's hands, and you're looking at kind of the evidence of Paul's argument 2,000 years ago because every single structure that they made is in ruins and it's collapsing, and, and you can't even touch it. They have guards, you know, basically guarding and saying, don't touch this or you'll tear it up. And so you see... That God could not obviously have been inside of a structure that's made by man. And what Paul was claiming there was a transcendent being that was non-arbitrary, whose existence did not depend on man's creativity or ability to construct a statue. In fact, it's the opposite. Man is actually contingent on God. 
And so it was incredible being there. And each city had its own little you know, moment like that that we went to where you just, it just kind of came to life. I'm curious about the beginning of the film, why you decided to couch things in that opening where it was all the news clips about the, the fall of the, the quote-unquote, the Duck Dynasty. And uh, especially it seemed to be stemming out of uh, the, the whole controversy that Phil had uh, become embroiled in when it came to some of his anti-homosexual statements. I didn't write that part. I basically stuck to the intellectual arguments of the film in terms of the stuff. I mean, I'm, you know, what, I, what I'm writing in the, and what I had in mind is more of the um, – of I want to make an argument. So the, the, all of that stuff is not, I mean, I didn't, I, I wasn't involved in any of that. Uh, you know, that was more uh, Steve Bannon flair. Steve has a way of, he knows how to put an audience um, when he ran Breitbart. I mean, you know, really the, the scope of my influence and the scope of my contribution was strictly from, uh, more from, uh, I guess, an apologetic and meaning that a defense of, of Christianity, a defense of the Christian truth claims. That was my, that was my objective the entire time. You know, what, so that was not really part of, of, uh, what I put in there. You know, I, so I don't, you know, that was, you have to ask Steve on that one. When it comes to the film, what are the things that you want people to walk away with once they're done watching it? Um, I want people to see the consequences of a world without, now, I'm not you have to be odd to have a to have a value of human. Certainly, I mean, I've got plenty of friends that are atheists and postmodern and humanist that that hold humanity high. But what I'm saying that you have a real reason if you are a humanist or an atheist, you have no anchor for the value of human life, and it's that type of philosophy. It's the philosophy of Friedrich Nietzsche. That 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 led to the Holocaust. I mean, it's that type of nihilistic thinking that 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 life is purely mechanical and has no inherent intrinsic value. It's the philosophy of Jean-Jacques Rousseau that led to the depravity of, of the French Revolution. You know, if you look at, I'll, I'll give you, and um, I don't want people to see this. You know, you look at the American Revolution. I tried to show this in the film. The American Revolution juxtaposed that to the French Revolution. You've got, you've got a philosopher, John Locke, who heavily influenced a guy named Thomas Jefferson, who was the father of the American Revolution, and he also heavily influenced a man by the name of Jean-Jacques Rousseau, another philosopher, a French philosopher, who heavily influenced the French Revolution. Both were constitutional uh, government on the, on the government of the people, for the people, for life, liberty, and egalitarianism, or life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Very similar movements, very similar background. Both came from kind of the philosophy of John Locke. The difference is that we had a Declaration of Independence, which and it was a huge difference, which our Declaration of Independence says that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Therefore, see, our rights do not come from God. Our rights, our constitutional republic— is predicated on natural rights that do not come from man, but come from a, a being that's transcendent to man. Therefore, man doesn't give it, and therefore man can't take it away. Or in the French system, the French had just an arbitrary system. Hey, we believe that men are free. Why are they free? Well, because because they are. But why? And the question is why. So I, I really believe 
that anybody who watches this film, if they're, if they're intellectually honest, just ask the question, why are we free? Nobody can live their life as if God isn't there. Nobody. Richard Dawkins can't do it. Friedrich Nietzsche can't do it. Nobody can live like that because we can't live as if all humanity uh, – we can't live, live as if humanity is nothing more than atomic material. We all live in a way that values human life. So what I'm saying is we need to anchor down and ask that question, why? Why is life valuable? And if the answer is because God made it valuable, then we need to start uh, seeking out who this God is. And, and really, it's a quest for reality. So I, wanted, I just want to spur people onto that. How's the reception for the film been so far? Um, I think it's a little provocative for some folks. I think, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the evangelical world, it may be a little too rough around the edges. Um, but I think that, you know, I, I think that uh, for a lot of folks who uh, have watched it, and, and I've gotten a lot of great feedback in terms of, you know, uh, the message that we're trying to get out. Um, I think people... I think the more that we have discussions, and I do think this is an interesting part of time in our history, that the more that we have, uh, I guess the more we eradicate political correctness and allow for real discussions to be had, I think that we can return back to a time when we do intellectually vet our ideas. You know, you think about the greatest men in history who have had the most progress in terms of, 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 of movements of liberty. You know what? This was the exact discussion they were having. Go read... Go read uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail. Go read John Locke's treatise of two governments. Go read Samuel Rutherford's Lex Rex. Go, I mean, you read these, you read Edmund Burke. You read, when you read men and women who have made a tremendous progress in the advancement of liberty for people, it's always been those who have anchored it in, in the non-arbitrary um, God who was there. Now, you know, Aristotle did the same thing. I don't think Aristotle called it God, but he didn't have any access to know who it was. He just said, look, I'm looking around, and I'm seeing objects move, and when I ask the question, why are they moving, the answer is they're moving because another object made them move. Well, what made that object move? Well, another object made it move that was already moving. Okay, well, what about that object? And what Aristotle discovered was through just basic logic and reasoning is, is that eventually you have to get back to a non movable object that initiates movement through all the other objects. So J.P. Moreland does a great illustration. Uh, the philosopher J.P. Moreland does a great illustration on this when he when he talks about uh, non-contingent beings and contingent beings, and he uses an iPad as an example. And he says, you know, look, if I want to borrow an iPad from somebody, and I go to my friend, and I say, hey, can I borrow your iPad because I don't have one? And my friend says, well, I don't have one either, but let me go talk to John over here, and I'll borrow one from John, and I'll let you borrow John's iPad. And then he goes to John and he says, John, do you have an iPad I can borrow? John says, no, I don't have one, but let me get a bill. And, 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 and in other words, this keeps going on forever and ever, and we never get to a place where somebody has an iPad that they didn't have to borrow, then, I, then, then, then I'm never going to get that iPad. And so he uses this analogy to show that there has to be this non-borrowing lender to initiate the lending. And the same thing is for existence. You know, this, we have, it, 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 it's, it's a cosmological argument. It, it's an argument of, of causation. You know what I mean? And so we have to get back to that thing. And so I think when we have this discussion with people, I think that we can, I know it's people to some extent, but I think that these are, these are important questions that we're asking, more important than why we're not even denied. When you say political correctness, what do you mean? Um, when I say political correctness, I mean 
it's the thought police who shut down intellectual discourse. And we, anytime that we have a, um, something that is opposed to a leftist worldview, we label it as hate speech. We label it as a bigotry. We label it as intolerant. Um, you know, and, and it just, and you can't say anything anymore because everyone becomes neutered because they don't want to say anything of substance that might be controversial because if it's labeled as controversial, then you could be labeled as a bigot and then you're shut down and then you can't say anything. And, and, uh, so I'm saying, um, I think we've got to have a, like open dialogue, like, you know, whatever you believe, like bring it to the table. Now I think we got to be respectful of each other, obviously, and we can't, uh, harm each other, but we can have fundamental disagreements about uh, the nature of reality. I may fundamentally disagree with you, but you know what? You're still welcome in my home. You're still welcome at my dinner table. Like, I don't hate you because I disagree with you. And we got to have some type of civility where we can have real discussions uh, so that we can examine these worldviews. You know what I mean? I mean, if we, if, if, if we could have never had a real discussion about about slavery, you know what? We'd still be condoning slavery. But we, at some point, you have to get outside of the societal expectations and the societal uh, norms, and we have to examine our worldview and say, you know, where where are we missing the mark? You know, where are we not advancing liberty? And thank God, in this country, you know, uh, historically, we've been able to do that. So I just want to continue those types of discussions. Other than uh, moving, what are you working on these days? I'm actually about to uh, um, start a podcast myself um, in the next several months, so I'll stay tuned on that. Um, we're going to discuss ideas such as these. Um, we're going to discuss you know, the, the essence of reality. Uh, how do we know God's there? Has science disproved God? We're going to get into some politics. We're going to get into some economics. We're going to get into uh, you know, just a, lo- a lot of things that are, that, that are important to me. Um, so I'm working on that. Um, what else am I doing? Um, I'm involved somewhat with some of the, uh, with Phil on a few projects in terms of, uh, advocacy work, um, to fight against judicial tyranny, um, which is a whole other topic. You'll have to have me on, well, you're, you're, uh, a, a film podcast. So you may not want to have me on for that, but, um, so I got a few things we're working on and I'd like to do some more production based stuff as well down the road. Um, I've got a few ideas of, of uh, projects I'm going to do. Well, Zach Dasher, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Hey, excellent, man. It was it was a pleasure talking to you, Mike. Thanks for having me on, and, and uh, I'd love to come back on if I do another project. Keep me up to date on the uh, the podcast. I'll, I'll put a link out on the site when it goes up. There's a man going around taking names and he decides who to free and who to blame everybody won't be treated all the same there'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around all right we're back and we're talking about torchbearer one of the things that Zach brought up when we were talking to him was this whole idea of political correctness. I just want to talk a little bit about political correctness with you guys because, Chris, you and I are almost literally the same age. We are like, what, three days apart, right? So 1990, when I go to college, political correctness 
I don't know if it had been around before that, but it was a really hot topic on the University of Michigan campus. And it was this whole thing of, oh, yeah, you got to be politically correct. You got to be politically correct. It was just kind of drilled into our heads. And at first, I chafed under that idea so hard. It was like, how dare you tell me what I can and cannot say? This is a goddamn free country. Don't you tell me what I can say and not say. Now, 25 years later or 27 years later, basically political correctness to me, and I'm curious to get your guys' definition, but I'll throw mine out first. Political correctness to me is not necessarily a form of censorship. It's calling people by the names they would like to be called, and by doing so, not taking away their humanity. That, to me, is the most the, the the biggest takeaway from political correctness. Like, you don't call a little person a midget if midget is offensive to them. You don't call a black person the N-word because that is a horrible name. You don't call a gay person the F word or this or that or the other thing. And it's just like the 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 thing that I notice when I'm even saying this stuff is that I keep using the word person, a black person, a little person, a gay person. And I think that kind of chafes people now because they have to actually admit that gays are people, that blacks are people, that, that little people are people. And it's just like, how dare you remind me that I'm trying to speak so horribly about these 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 creatures. But I have to use and the word. Here I was thinking you were just trying to be uh, I'm not I'm not joking. I thought you were just trying to be gender inclusive of the whole thing by saying people. So I don't know. That's kind of what I was thinking, too. How, how dare you make me respect someone's <laughs> yeah. gender? Mm. So I'm curious for both of you guys what political correctness means to you. I I pretty much had the same reaction, I think, that you did. It was I, I went to art school in, in 1990. So I was don't tell me anything. I'm going to do what I want. Blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, 90s hipster, I guess. Hipster anarchist, shall we say? And it was just, I'm going to say what I want to say. And, you know, when you say to one of your coworkers, after they ring up the, the, the same thing wrong three times, you turn to them and say, what are you, retarded? And you turn around and there's a nine-year-old retarded girl standing at your register with her father staring at you. It kind of hits home and you realize, oh, I'm saying things I don't even, I don't even realize I'm saying this stuff. I got to smarten up. I think having kids kind of helps that too, because I see how, how different it is from, from when I was running around in the eighties being an idiot to, to now. And no one tolerates bullying at, at my kid's school. It's just, it doesn't happen. I've been punched a lot in the face and everybody ignored it. And it's fascinating to see them grow up in that kind of thing. I don't see political correctness as like, I think it's a it's a bad term. It's like it's like global warming. It's it's kind of a misnomer. It should be common decency, I think is what it should be called now. But good luck getting people to agree to that. Political correctness, I mean basically what it means to me now is it's a propaganda term almost. Like it, it doesn't when I hear somebody start saying political correctness, I start wondering, okay, where where are you coming from? <laughs> because oftentimes now it's 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 from a place that, that I'm really not interested in relating to you know it's just i want nothing to do with that but i think much like the two of you um when i was coming up 
and and you know hearing you know all political correctness and all you got to watch what you say and all that. I was like, fuck you, watch what I say. Like fuck, no fucking way am I. You know, Voltaire, man. <laughs> you know, like it was. I, I was having none of it. I think that's a pretty natural reaction to being told that. I don't know. I mean, it felt natural to me. Like it, it, so I, I just, I think there's a lot of people who felt the same way and who, who feel the same way when kind of being told, well, you gotta, you, you know, this is how you gotta be. And then you gotta watch your, watch your language and you can't say these things and you can't say those things. And in, in, in much the same way you, you through oftentimes horrific trial and error, you, you start to learn that like, oh, man, OK, um, I may be uh, completely free to say what I want, but I'm not free from the consequences of what I've said. Oh, that great segue, wouldn't it? <laughs> right into uh, the First Amendment complaints, right? <laughs> Absolutely. The and- government... Oh, anyway, uh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, please. I mean, th- this is this is all part of it, right? Like, th- this yeah. is all part of it. Like, I, I and, and that's what makes you start reflecting and makes you start realizing, oh, okay, now I understand why uh, I need to be careful. And 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 to to Mike's point, when people say careful, like you, you kind of it's it feels threatening. Like you better be careful, mm. careful. But really, I mean, look at the word. It's care, right? Uh, Take care. So I think all that anybody is asking or anybody reasonable is asking is saying, I like to be called this. You know, I feel validated when when you refer to me as this or that, or I like these pronouns or I like whatever the case may be. And I don't think we can begrudge anybody making that request. You, you you can't say, well, that's ridiculous. But all they're doing is asking. We call one of the best entertainers in the world Meatloaf. The guy wants to be called Meatloaf. You call him Meatloaf. Nobody's up in arms about that. Yeah. You know, what's he trying to hide? What's in his past? We got to find out his real name and find out what he was really up to before he became this Meatloaf. And don't let him use a gender-specific bathroom. <laughs> of course not. And it, it's just – and it's that kind of thing. Like Like – and so I think once people realize that this is not a like a dictatorial thing, you must. It's a can you please? It's a it, it's a hey, can you do this for me? Can you do can you can, person to person? Can you do this thing for me that, honest to God, means nothing to you mm. more than likely, and is very important to me. The thing too that I notice with political correctness, I mean, I don't even really think of the term anymore. It's basically. When I think of the way that I should be speaking to people, it's easy to just come up with a term and, you know, say stuff. Basically, political correctness for me now is I actually have to, now this is a crazy thought. I actually have to think about what I'm going to say before I say it. Oh, dear. <laughs> I know, right? It's crazy. So I, rather than just saying like that person or this or that or the other thing, it's like I actually have to actually think like, okay, I'm speaking about this person now. How, again, how would they like to be called? What, to what should I refer, you know, to them? And it's just like, oh, okay. You know, now like it's a lot better. Like I can use, 
you're talking about gender specific pronouns and things. And it's just like, okay, yeah, I can actually say like this friend of mine who happens to be a transsexual identifies as female. So she would like to be called she. So I'm just going to say she. Right. Because if you respect that person and you care about them, why wouldn't you? Yes, exactly. It took me half a second to think about that the first time that I ever made a reference. And then from then on, she's a she. Fantastic. And she likes it. I don't mind saying it. Why should I mind saying it? It's what she wants to be called. So yeah, I, I mean, you it's lose nothing. It's easier to just use a you know a, a horrible term for somebody and just like you know, oh, this goddamn he she blah blah blah, and then like actually saying like this transsexual person or this you know the, <laughs> this person who identifies as female she you know and just like. For God's sakes, having some goddamn common courtesy. It's it's just as dumb as as somebody introducing themselves and saying Terry. That's a stupid name. I'm gonna call you Jim. Like, <laughs> come on, what was the matter? Yeah, you weren't born a Terry. How dare you? <laughs> but but if we if we were to call them rednecks, then we're wrong. You weren't born Meatloaf. You were born Marvin. I'm gonna call you Marvin. <laughs> There's probably somebody who does that to him. Simply by respecting what somebody is asking you to call them is not buying into what <laughs> they're they're all about. You don't like you even if you're like, listen, I'm not sure I I buy into all this stuff. Great, you don't have to. Mm, yeah, you, you, you don't need to to just be decent. Yeah, you, know, you know, like you can you can just if they're asking. You can say yes, and it doesn't mean that suddenly you're part of the homo agenda or whatever. It's it's you're just person to person. This is this is this is not like a. I don't get why this is silly. A big. I think people need to look at more of it as a, as a person, like a human to human thing, where it's like a human being is just asking you, "Hey, I feel better this way. Um, can you just validate that for me?" And and if you don't, okay, that's you know, because you, you don't have to, you don't have to respect them. I mean, most people don't, right? Uh, she, oh, oh, yeah, whatever, you know. <laughs> Look at that big package on her, you know. People don't do that, right? Like they don't. The vast majority of people won't actually respect that stuff. They just kind of, you know, it's all a big sort of circus for them. Yeah, it's so, all weird, Nikki, and gross. Exactly, exactly, and so. <laughs> You know, like, is it is it that wrong for them to just say, hey, maybe can you try not doing that to me? And is it that wrong for a segment of the population to go, okay, you know what, that's fine with us. But doesn't that all go back to the the, the teachings of the church, not necessarily even the Bible, but the church treating sexuality and sex and nudity and all of that as taboo and shameful? If it wasn't. Maybe everybody be a little cooler about the whole thing and just not care, like in a negative way. Or That's... maybe if you know we weren't told that this is how it has to be: man, woman, producing children. Yeah, you, you know who go on to to do the exact same thing we did, and and so on and so on and so on so forth, and you know until doomsday. <laughs> is, is it that much to to consider that that? There are human beings that will want to live a different way. You want to live that way. Hey, go nuts. Hmm. 
You know, you, you have your community and you're welcome to do that. But there are other human beings who, who can conceive of different ways to live and, and would just like the freedom to, to go and do that without having bigots scream at them. At the end of the day, I want to kind of ask, you know, or talk about this a little bit as far as why, why we're even doing this freaking episode. I mean, <laughs> this is a, a show about movies. Believe it or not, this is a movie show. And there are these movies out here. I mean, Steve Bannon has directed nine films so far, and he has produced, I think, like 16 films. Interesting production history here. I mean, the first two movies that he had money in were Titus and The Indian Runner, which is just crazy to me. And then, like, five years later, he goes into... You know, uh, in the face of evil, Reagan's war in word and deed. And so that kind of begins his, his whole, like, I don't want to say conspiracy theory videos, but they kind of are along those same lines. But yeah, there are, are films and filmmakers out here that are basically like little cottage industries of we're going to tell you what you want to hear. And, you know, we are the truth while everyone else is lying to you. And I would say Dinesh D'Souza is out there doing the same thing. He might be a little bit better at it insofar as his stuff is actually getting played in regular theaters, which is crazy that it is getting played in regular theaters. But there are these films that are continuously coming out. I mean, Bannon has three documentaries in one year. Uh, in 2012, District of Corruption, Occupy in Mass, The Hope and the Change. And then in 2010, he made several documentaries as well. He made uh, another three. So Battle for America, Fire in the Heartland, and Generation Zero. And then he also, in 2012, tw- or, sorry, in 2011, it was a little slow year, so he just did The Undefeated. And then 2016 was Torchbearer. And yeah, like I said, he's slowed down, but he does have another film that he's producing and i think it should be coming out soon called the last 600 meters so i kind of wanted to put a spotlight on that one of the guys who has the president's ear is this basically minister of propaganda you could say i mean that might be a little bit strong i I don't know that that's strong if only because i think bannon himself would welcome the comparison probably not i mean not in polite company uh, but, but you know, over a, over a glass of scotch and a line of coke, you know, <laughs> calling him Goebbels would be just the best. You know, he would be like, yeah. Um, but you know, the thing with with Bannon, he not he does not want the America that most people want, <laughs> and I think he's keenly aware of that. Like, I think he's keenly aware of the fact that the world he wants to create, that people are not going to be naturally inclined to sort of line up for. And so he needs to be able to manipulate them. He needs to have these platforms to manipulate them. So it's it's interesting that he start again, you know, he's he's producing films and all this stuff. But then there's all the the Internet stuff as well, which you know his, his involvement with Andrew Breitbart uh, and and him coming to be the chairman of of Breitbart News after the the passing of Andrew Breitbart. But I mean, you want know, to start talking about fake news and stuff like that. Like, I mean, Breitbart, huge, you know, fake news site. Hmm. Uh, that that plant all those Plant Parenthood videos. I mean, that was orchestrated by I believe James O'Keefe. Uh, who's the same guy who, with Andrew Breitbart, uh, went after Acorn in, in 2008. 
uh, and did the same thing. These sort of gotcha edited videos that that led to, uh, you know, the smearing of an organization and, and is still used in, in you know, right wing propaganda to this day. Right? They know the trick works. And O'Keefe has tried this, you know, time and time again. He's quite a character. But O'Keefe comes from this right wing, this not your grandma's right wing where they don't really give a shit about gone Jesus, except that they need their base. Uh, they're more interested in, uh, you know, overturning the government essentially, uh, and, and forming this very, uh, I'll charitably call it a libertarian state, uh, hmm. because, I don't know, people are squeamish about invoking fascism. I'm not particularly, I mean, I think it's pretty, pretty clear that that's what's going on but let's be let's be charitable and we'll call it a, a an extreme right libertarian state uh, ethno state is, is functionally what they want and so uh, like how did how did they accomplish this how did they how do they build these recruits how do they convince people this authoritarian Again, you know, libertarian state. How do we how do we get people to buy into that? How do we get this younger generation to do it? And what they did, and, and I find it interesting that we all had that that reaction to political correctness, because I think a lot of people did, and I think there were people who who recognized in that reaction was a lever, right? There there was a a a, a place where you could get some leverage on these people. You know, who are all of a sudden coming out and saying, well, rationally, you know, they believe in science and reason and, and, and all of these things, which is, is totally unlike our Phil Robertson's people, right? These are people who are like, by and large, atheists, by and large, people who would say they believe in science and rationality and reason. But then they're the people who think rationality is the rationality of the free market, which is ultimately just another religion. But, <laughs> you know, like these are people who think that. Uh, you know, obviously, rationally, uh, black people aren't as intelligent as white people because they didn't have the benefit of of hundreds of years of white education and things like that. Like they literally think these things, and they're like, you know, no offense or anything. And you know, I'm not trying to, you know, we're we're ju we're just stating biological facts, and that's what they'll try and do is count exactly couch everything. There's no offense. These are just biological facts. Uh, women aren't good at math. They'll never be good engineers. Uh, that's just the way it is. Women's brains are wired for laundry and dishes, and like, and and, and they'll come up with these, and they'll try, like they'll they'll, well, according to evolutionary psychology, blah 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 blah, and they they come up with these very pseudoscientific rationales for uh, essentially white supremacy. <laughs> Uh, and, and they don't even know. I I swear, I swear a lot of them don't even know that that's what they're doing, right? Like they don't even realize that. Like, oh wait, I'm I'm actually rationalizing like complete white supremacy here. And and next thing you know, because I mean, if you look a lot of these people who are the big online Trump supporters, a lot of them came out of the the atheist YouTube community. Tons of them came out of there. And I think that's what happened is, is that that rationality got exploited. And I was like, OK, now we've got to couch things in this language. And now we've got to take the language of this political correct culture, co-opt it, make it look like we're sort of playing along with it. But then we're going to make an end run with it. And it, it's it's interesting that O'Keefe 
was he was very familiar with like 4chan culture and 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 all that right which i believe and maybe i'm mistaken but i think history will will bear me out if the history of this is ever really really told but i think the the influence of 4chan on basically the early 21st century cannot be understated Mm. in terms of in terms of how it is the just the sheer popularity of the site and how many people were influenced by it once people recognized that 4chan could do things in the real world uh, i remember early on there were those uh, scientology protests and uh you know manipulating online polls you know making it so that time magazine names you know scooter dickface the <laughs> man of the year or you know whatever they did right these all seem kind of like harmless foolish things but they were also in a way proof of concept for how you can weaponize that kind of stuff right you can you we can manipulate online polls great now we can convince people to think that you know fine we're not gonna you know make it so that uh scooter dickface is is number one we're but maybe we're going to slip in some kind of questionable white supremacist ideas and you know get a lot of people making it appear that there's a lot of people who agree with that and all of a sudden people wonder oh wait a minute is there yeah maybe that is how it is and 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 this isn't conjecture or speculation on my part you can actually go to stormfront and find them talking about this and how they can use 4chan and reddit in particular uh to manipulate public opinion and to go on there and post these uh sort of inflammatory racist ideas not outright inflammatory and racist but you know these coded sort of messages and then ensuring that they're all highly upvoted so that uh, again people tend to conflate popularity with with the the correctness of an idea and so they see this hugely popular idea and this thing's got you know hundreds and hundreds of votes or whatever and all the people disagreeing with it you know are in the negatives well you know People get swayed by that. And I know a lot of people don't believe that or think, oh, that's ridiculous. But it's absolutely true. And it's something that happens in your brain that I think at a level that, that you're sometimes not even conscious of. You know, it's, it's just you see that and, and something happens to you. You know, you, you start wondering, am I wrong? You know, am I wrong about how I'm seeing the whole world here? Because holy shit, you know, like this really looks like I'm in the minority on stuff that seems pretty obvious to me and seems pretty, you know what I mean? And I, I think that people get really confused and people, I think people saw that power in 4chan, Reddit, and all these communities. And this is kind of treading into like Alex Jones territory, I guess. But I have to wonder if it's a coincidence that at the same time, these sites were, were were gaining popularity and becoming recognized as uh, tools for uh, political communication. You had all of a sudden a lot of Russian interest going on in there. So, for example, if you looked at uh, there's a whole gun forum for gun nuts on 4chan and all of a sudden everybody's singing the virtues of these uh Russian rifles that are selling real cheap right now. And, oh, yeah, Russians make the best rifles. Russians are great. Everybody says Russians are bad, but really, you know, and it leads to this weird, like, oh, yeah, Russia's great. Russia's great. And then this memification of Putin, right? This, this, we're going to pose Putin fighting bears and, like, you know, riding pumas and, <laughs> you know, shirtless knife fighting, you know, 
like ridiculous. I'm doing judo. Um, I don't think any of those things were mistakes. Uh, I don't think any of those things were not conscious. I think the idea of, of turning Putin into a meme went a long way towards garnering a kind of sympathy towards him. And there's, again, we're kind of in weirdo conspiracy territory here, but I don't think it's like, the more I look at it, the more I think it's far off because I, like I was on 4chan back then, you know, I, I remember it. I remember how things were and there was definitely a change. There was definitely a, a time when it went from like, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're transgressing. So yeah, all these nasty, awful things are being said, but I think there was a, or at least I feel like there was an implicit understanding that, yeah, this is, this is just sort of transgression and, and, and blowing off steam and, and ironic and nobody's really serious about any of this. And I don't think anybody considered that that ironic posture basically just gives space for the non ironic people to walk in and feel right at home. And I think that was part of where that culture broke down right? and where it was like, Oh, okay. Uh, you know, Oh, everybody here is joking about hating the Jews. Well, what's the difference between joking about it and really doing it? You can't tell because nobody's willing to drop character. Nobody's willing to, you know, go, hold on, wait a minute. Everybody here's joking. Right. <laughs> so it just, it becomes, and I'm telling you, it sounds so insane. And yet when I, when you start looking at it, it's, it, it, it's like how Bannon was into uh, World of Warcraft. It, you, you know, he had all these companies that were, were were farming gold in World of Warcraft, making tons of money. But I mean, he's literally mining a virtual resource to sell to <laughs> virtual people. Like, like no wonder he has this relationship with reality that he does. But I, but I also think that's another sp- space where he came close to that internet culture and realized. That yes, film was still a powerful uh, medium, but if you wanted the 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 twenty year olds, you needed the internet, and and you needed you didn't need movies, you needed YouTubers, and you needed memes. Yeah, yeah, because you got to get them before their brains are finished fully forming. Get those ideas in there. I'm not making fun of them. I mean, no, no, it's is is when like everything's you know starting to set (laughs) absolutely and plus what you've got is is this large cohort of people who are i say rightly uh cynical about political process cynical about religion cynical about just about everything the modern world is throwing at them Mm. uh, because they they just feel that everything is a manipulation everything is they're all waiting for the other shoe to drop and i feel like those those people could really be compelled either way they could go hard right, they could go hard left, they could go somewhere else. It just all depends who's pushing. Yeah, uh, if um, if what we heard was true, Bernie supporters going for Trump, then they are very easily swayed one way or the other, which I don't understand. I mean, I, well, I think what it, com- what it comes down to, I feel, at least, is that what you've got is a rejection of the status quo. And Trump by many, I think, was seen as a rejection of the status quo and seen by others as like a it's like an accelerationist kind of thing. Like like the decline is coming. Let's get Trump in there so it happens faster. Mm. Uh, and I think that's what a lot of that was designed to to cultivate mm. with, with, with these 
these sentiments and, and, and this notion that, you know, you can't trust the media, you can't trust the government, you can't trust any of this stuff, which, yeah, duh, right? I mean, we all know you can't, but, but now we're in this perverse position where we're defending the government and we're saying, hey, wait a minute, no, the CIA is telling the truth this time, guys. And it's it's a really awkward place to be. And it's this really, I believe, a calculated place to be. Because when we when we talk about the objectives that Putin stated, you know, well, I guess not Putin directly, but the objectives that we saw outlined for why the Russians did these hacks and and various uh, you know, social manipulations and and what it it wasn't to to secure an election for donald trump it it was to to create chaos it was to create a a disconnection between people in the political system it was it was really in a way designed to highlight its absurdity and i think in that regard they've succeeded fantastically beyond their wildest dreams it's possibly the most successful intelligence operation in history. Chris, how are things going with your podcast, buddy? After the election, we took some time off because I was waiting to wake up. Um, and and we've done a, a few episodes. Um, we've cut back a bunch um, because life, <laughs> you know, we have the, the game that we're, that we're, working on and all kinds of other stuff, you know, Frank's got his own things happening. So, uh, that one, uh, I have one, uh, recorded that I'll put out. Uh, you'll probably have this out before I get the, uh, that one out, even though it's sitting right there on the desktop, but outside the cinema is going strong. We're, we're, we're getting up to, uh, we're going to hit episode 500 inside of three months. I want to say, so wow, that's way too many terrible movies. And I'll be honest, this movie, Torchbearer, was not even close to the worst thing I've ever seen. Uh, the production values alone brought this up over over top of like a third of the movies I've watched for outside the cinema. Now, for people that aren't familiar with the game that you mentioned, you want to talk a little bit about that? My friend Frank and I have uh, spent, honestly, years discussing and working on this game. Uh, it's a movie-based game. It's called The Original Movie Game. It's um, all about connections between movies so basically before there was um six degrees of kevin bacon there was the where have i seen that guy before and it's the you know so it's a it's a deck of the hundred the the starter deck is the hundred highest grossing films and the idea is to uh in the second half of the game create the longest string of connections that you can basically if you were to get all the marvel movies you could just say sam jackson um but that's cheating. Uh, but um, but the whole idea is to draw cards, give clues to the to the cards that you want to get rid of, and and guess for ones that will help you. So there's there's strategy and um, kind of some underhandedness. Like you can get rid of terrible movies if you want uh, that have no matches. Uh, <laughs> but um, we've been selling them. It's it's people people seem to love it, which is great. Um, you can order it on Amazon, um, I believe, because I haven't checked in a while. I believe we're selling it for $19.77 because Star Wars, because um, <laughs> we're dorks. And, um, or you can go to the original movie game 
com and order it from there. And Frank will hand fill out the label, hand pack it, and uh, and send it out to you. And if and if if we do well enough, we have expansions like like we want to do a television and a movie one that you could eventually um, just put all the decks together and and connect everything if you want to. Um, but we have expansion packs planned for the movie one, which will be horror, drama, thriller, that kind of stuff. Um, and then we have the supporters that 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 helped us um, get the printing fees. Um, so they will be able to to handpick their own films, their favorite films, basically for these booster packs. So it could be it could be interesting. It's a lot of fun, and it's um, it's it's really different to um, <laughs> try to start something from nothing. Um, it's a lot of learning on the go, and um, I understand social media, but I don't understand um promoting on social media well enough and having a full-time job like i can't devote myself to it but you know slow instead right and how about you david what's keeping you busy these days i did want to plug one thing and i i i want to ask people if they're interested in any of this stuff at all to go uh listen to the jungle gate series uh because i I think we we touch on a lot of similar issues that's an insane project (laughs) And it's still not done. It's, it's a bit Fitzcarraldo at this point, but, you know, what can you do? Dave and um, the former host of the Rumorg podcast have been doing a uh, series about, ostensibly about uh, Eli Roth's um, Green Inferno, but it has turned into much more than that. <laughs> it's just gone completely bonkers. I Yeah, it's... Yeah. I hate to say, but it really is like when I when I think about it, I guess I don't hate to say it, but it's it's hard to say. But that I'm really I think it's one of the best things I've ever done in terms of just like I'm really maybe five people will listen to it. But I'm immensely proud of it because it's a lot of fun and it just takes the weirdest turns. And yeah, it's it's bizarre. You should at some point record your Linda Blair story. And uh, let people know what you went through with that. Wow. Yeah, that was a tough day. (laughs) That was a really tough day. I think it'll it'll make its way out eventually. I know that we have a a, like we have a complete recording of the of the Q and A, such as it was. And I I'm sure it'll see the light of day one day. Uh, Stay tuned. I don't know. It'll it'll come out after Jungle Gate Five. Do you want to see me dance? (laughs) <laughs> well i'm gonna teach you to walk a dog first well thank you guys for being on the show thanks to everybody for listening please head out over to the website projection-boot.com where you can find out more about today's episode you can also find links over to our itunes where you can rate and review the show and to patreon where you can make a donation to the show donors get early access to every episode as long as i'm not running late and every donation and every rating we get helps the projection booth take over the world
If you enjoy this show and want more people to know about it, head on over to iTunes, leave a comment, and rate it five stars. Make sure you like and share us on Facebook, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Just search for Christopher Media. Thank you in advance for supporting Christopher Media by clicking on the PayPal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support ChristopherMedia.net. Most importantly, we would like to take the time to extend an extra special thanks to you. Christopher Media could not exist without your support. Thank you for visiting ChristopherMedia.net, and thank you for listening. Christopher Media, let's make some noise.